Hi, I'm David. And I'm Aaron. And you're listening to The Travel Bros. So today is June 9th. It's Sunday, and Aaron and I just got back from different trips. I got back from a trip. We were in the Netherlands for a day. We took a cruise to Norway, and then we went to Poland and Israel. So that was a long trip in Europe. And Aaron also just got back from a trip in Japan. Aaron, how was your trip? It was amazing, and there's a lot we have to talk to you all about. Uh, I'm only going to be speaking about two cities today, which are Tokyo and Osaka. Uh, But we're going to make a part two and a part three about both my trip and David's, where we will be talking about much more cities and places. So as Aaron said, there's no way we can fit this in uh, to one episode. So today, specifically, we're going to be talking about Japan and Israel. So I'm going to start off with Israel. So in Tel Aviv, um, which is one of the main cities in Israel, there are a lot of unique things. And one of them is the ways that people get around. So the transportation forms. People get around with, obviously, cars. But a lot of people get around with e-bikes, bikes, bikes, uh, electric scooters, and mopeds. So when I was there, I walked a lot, obviously, um, because we didn't rent a car or anything like that. But I also rode a lot of electric scooters. They're so easy easy to use. And unlike many cities where electric scooters are readily available, in Tel Aviv, they're actually widely utilized. There's a bunch of cities in the U.S. and in Europe where there's electric scooters and things like that, but nobody actually uses them. In Tel Aviv, everyone uses them, and it's so, so amazing because it's just an easy way of getting around. It's better for the environment, and it just makes life a lot easier than having to call a cab all the time, which they have too, but this just makes it so much easier. Right. I mean, I agree. I think having electric scooters, like in Austin, Texas, there's a lot of electric scooters, and you can see you know, all the college kids, kids use them because there's many no you know, car zones on campus. So people just use that to get around and it's way better for everything else. You know, you don't have to start up your car, find a place to park or anything like that. You just leave it on the sidewalk. Uh, So, yeah, I think it's awesome that Tel Aviv has electric scooters. And um, unfortunately, I didn't see really very many of those in Japan. No, I don't think I don't think based on my knowledge, Aaron has to tell me because he's the one who actually went there. I didn't think they were very common in Japan, but I could be wrong. Um, Another thing about these is there's a big bonus to riding electric scooters, which is that on the company I was usually riding, which was Lime, you can exchange the battery and you'll get future ride credit. Doing this only takes an extra minute or two depending on where you are. So I did that and then basically all the rides I was taking, I was using ride credit that I got from exchanging the battery on the previous rides. So basically all my electric scooter rides were free, which was great. Um, And then also, of course, this is necessary if if people are going to be actually using these electric scooters is that the whole city has biking and scooter lanes. And so like, it doesn't matter if you're on the boardwalk or if you're in the middle of the city in an urban area, wherever you are, there will be a biking lane that you can use with an electric scooter. If you're on a bike or something like that. So it's easy to, for pedestrians and other people, it's, it's easy to get around from place to place. Not only do you have to be in a car to do that. So I, I don't know. I found, I found that very useful. Yeah, I agree. I think that's super useful and it's way easier to get around that way. Um, But I mean, what were some of the other things that y'all did other than just kind of take scooters around in Tel Aviv? So one of the things that we did was go to the Dead Sea. Um, This is not what you think of when you think about the Dead Sea because we did not do what most people do, which is go to one of the beaches with a bunch of people. We actually did a boat ride. Uh, It was like an hour and a half boat ride. We, We were a little bit like 
we didn't know if it would be worth it because we were staying in Tel Aviv and it's like a, how long, I'm trying to think of it. It was like a three hour drive each way to the Dead Sea from where we were. We didn't know if it would be worth it, you know, going on the drive, doing something. We felt like maybe it's a little touristy, but it was one of the best things we did on the entire trip. We had a private boat ride. We didn't see a single other person that uh, in the Dead Sea. And we got the person who was driving us around in the boat was a geologist, and he knew a lot about the history of the Dead Sea and the future of it as well. So we got to take pictures. We got to go out and walk on salt formations. It was incredible. And Aaron, I'm going to ask you something that I did not bring this up when we when we started talking about our podcast. Take a guess. How much do you think the Dead Sea loses each day, the water? The water? like Just take a guess of how much water it loses a day. Like how many In gallons? what measurement? Like uh, what you... Just take a guess. I mean, you want to do gallons? You want to do ounces? You want to do liters? I don't know. Just I'm gonna take a guess. guess. It loses like 2,000 gallons a day. Well, if I remember correctly, it loses the equivalent of 500 Olympic swimming pools of water every single day. Okay, I don't know what the conversion is from Olympic swimming pools to gallons. Well, think about that. Think about how many gallons are in one Olympic swimming pool. A lot? A lot. I'm going to look it up right now because I want to know the exact amount. How many gallons are in one Olympic swimming pool? That is 660,000 gallons. Oh, wow. Times five. So, uh, 500. So, however much that is. Times it loses 500? a day. 500 Olympic swimming pools a day of wow. water. It loses. So, it's not going to be around for a, a much longer. Really? It's going down, and it's the next 80 years or so, it's probably going to disappear. Wow. So, it's kind of sad, but that's a conversation for another time. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, moving on from that, which is kind of depressing. Um, something else that we did was the train from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. We went to Jerusalem for a day, um, which we, you know, we did a bunch of the tourist things there, and it was really amazing. But the train specifically, it opened in 2018. The entire trip from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem with all the stops takes about 50 minutes. Most of those are just, you know, how the train has to go slowly in between the stops when, when they're near each other. So in, in between the, the last stop in Tel Aviv to the stop in Jerusalem actually only takes around 20 minutes. So it's extremely convenient. Both cities, Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, have incredible public transportation that are widely utilized by the residents, and the trains run every 30 minutes, making the commute so easy. So anyone in either one of these cities, whenever they feel like it, any day of the week, they can just be like, I'm going to go to, you know, so-and-so city, and they can get on the train really easily. It runs every 30 minutes, so if they miss it, not a big deal. You just wait a few more minutes, and you'll get on the next one. Yeah, that's really cool. I We used a lot of public transportation when we were all throughout Japan, too. Um, and I can say that especially for tourists, it makes it so much easier to get around a country that you're not familiar with. Um, and that's one of the things Japan is so known for, right? Right. Is, I mean, public, public transportation, transportation, which we're going to talk about a lot more. I'm going to talk about a lot more um, when I'm talking about, you know, the cities that we went to. Um, but I'll, I'll start talking about it right now. The part of Tokyo that we started in. Um was part was called Shinjuku. Now it's a district, and this area is m- mainly known for entertainment reasons. Um, the part of the district is called Kabukichu, and that's like the section of the district that's known for all the entertainment and all the media and like all the animations and stuff like that around there. Um, that's where we can see like all those people dressing up as characters. Um, and stuff like that. I mean, there are plenty of other districts throughout Tokyo that have that. Um, but this is like one of the more touristy parts and, um, it's known for a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, it also happens to be Tokyo's red light district, um, which is kind of, uh, interesting too. 
and uh, it's a like a huge, huge area um, and a huge part of Tokyo, which is like you know known by everybody. All the tour guides are familiar familiar with this area, and it has a ton of residents as well, not just tourism. Um, so that's awesome. So it's basically like a big district within Tokyo that people like stay at and right. has a bunch of stuff. That kind of reminds me of New York. Yeah. So no, it, it's basically it looks like Times Square uh, when you're in it because there's all these screens around you and stuff, these huge like screens and displays and stuff like that, all these buildings with, you know, all the screens on them and stuff. So it really reminded me of Times Square. And since I've been to New York a lot of times, I mean, I know, you, you know, I can tell the similarities between the two things, but it also doesn't take an expert to really uh, see the resemblance. But Japan's a little bit more high tech, basically. Yeah, right? I mean, Japan is a little bit more modern and like, I would say it's more clean than New York City by a lot. Certainly. Yeah, um, I mean, you you see in New York City, you see trash on every street corner. I mean, it smells bad um, in a lot of places, but not every place in New York City. I mean, there's plenty of great parts. Um, But in, you know, in Tokyo, there's nothing. There's no trash on the streets. The subway stations are super clean. The trains themselves are super clean. uh, And just the whole thing works super well, uh, which is another thing I'd like to talk about a little bit later. Um, But within this area, within Shinjuku, there are many, like, restaurants, including sushi, ramen, and yakitori, which is Japanese skewers. And uh, they have plenty of, like, small alleys and stuff that are known for, like, uh, having dive bars and stuff like that that plenty of people, like, go to. And, uh, I mean, there's nightlife all the way throughout the night, which is another thing that, you know, this neighborhood in New York City have in common is it's a city that never sleeps. There's always people out on the street. Yes. That, that's something that New York and a lot of the major cities throughout the world are known for is like no matter what time of day, there's always something to do. And that's something that I've noticed a lot in Europe was like compared to the United States was of course in places like New York and the US, there's obviously going to be things throughout the night in places like Vegas and stuff like that. But most cities in Europe, even that are smaller than New York and Vegas and stuff like that, I feel like there's always stuff to do later. That's not something that I don't know if that's accurate what I'm saying, but it's just something I've noticed. But um, I've heard also in Japan that there's stuff to do throughout the night. So I guess that is true. And you saw that? Right. I mean, there's plenty of that stuff. And I would say if you're in this neighborhood, you should check out right in the heart of this neighborhood. Uh, there's the Tokyu building, T-O-K-Y-U. And it's a like a huge like 40-story building or something, somewhere in between like 28 to 30, 40 stories. I can't exactly say um, but it has multi like multi floor entertainment with food courts, uh, virtual reality, arcade games, video games, and all that kind of stuff. So, Aaron, first of all, that sounds awesome. Like all the different things there are to do. But also, one of the major things about Japan are the bullet trains. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you actually went on some of those, right? We did. So we went on a bullet train, uh, and it took about two and a half hours to the other city we we're going to talk about today, which is Osaka. And um, Osaka is another major tourist city uh, in Japan, probably the second most visited behind Tokyo, Uh, although I don't think it is the second biggest city in terms of population. I think that falls to Nagano, which has like 10 million people. Wow. Um, Yeah, so it's a lot of people. And um, the main part, so we were staying in kind of like a, I I can't really explain it, it was more of like a business or like um, shopping district um, of Osaka that our hotel was in. Um, but it was a super great area where a hotel was, and, you know, it's this area where all these cool car dealerships are, you know, they have, like, the McLaren car dealerships, Mercedes, Ferrari, Tesla, they're all in that area, which is really cool, um, I can't recall the area, but I, I know kinda where it was, um, but the, the cool part of Osaka, which is where all the tourism is, all the cool restaurants and stuff like that, is, uh, a part 
which is the heart of Osaka, known as Dotonbori. Um, and it has this river flowing through it. And, uh, like, it kind of reminded me of Amsterdam, where you have a river flowing through it. You have all these restaurants right next to it, you know, on both sides. You have tourism and, like, these uh, little, you know, canal boats that can take you through and show you yeah. stuff. I have two questions for you. The first one is, do most people who live in – I don't know if you know the answer, but do most people who live in Japan have cars or do they take public transportation? So I think when we – we actually asked uh, one of our guides about this and even in Tokyo, I think most residents – actually, I don't know about in Tokyo, but in Osaka, most residents do own a car, but just okay. one car. Uh, but for like general use, public transportation is like widely used there. And we can tell you that in all the cities, we use the subways, not just the bullet trains. I mean, the subways themselves, you know, just the metropolitan public transportation. They were super, super busy and used. Okay. Um, they weren't dirty, but they were just like widely used. So they have a purpose uh, and they serve it really well. Uh, and another great thing about their public transportation is that unlike a lot of them in the United States, they're always on time exactly. They will not show up one minute late unless there is a problem that makes them late. Um, so they're always perfectly on time. And my other question to you was, which one did you like better, the district where you stayed in Osaka or in Tokyo? So they were very different. You know, Osaka kind of reminds me, um, not like Houston, but it's kind of like the comparison of how Houston is to the rest of the United States. You know, it's a really big city. Um, but in terms of like tourism, there's still a ton, not like Houston. I mean, Houston doesn't have that much tourism. But size comparison wise, it's about the same population as Houston. Okay. Um, and so I, I would say that I liked Osaka a little bit better because there weren't, there wasn't as much like you know as many crowds and congestion. Although you could go to a lot of parts that have plenty of crowds and stuff like that, especially Dotonbori. Um, but another thing I'd like to say about it is the food's very different. Tokyo is kind of known for everything, and Osaka is known for a uh, a special type of food. Um, let me see if the if I have a good way to describe it. It's called uh, takoyaki, which is like a cooked ball shaped Jap Japanese snack uh, made from wheat flour based batter and cooked in a special molded pan. And we had those at a plenty of different restaurants and stuff in Osaka. Um, and they're really, really good. So, um, so yeah, that's what they're known for. And were the was the food very similar? Because another thing I've heard about Japan is like it's kind of I don't want to say there's a yeah. lack of food, but a lot of it is very similar. Like no matter where you are, is that something so, that you noticed or not? Yeah. So a common theme you'll see everywhere is sushi. Um, that's just kind of in every of city. Course, it's yeah. Japan. Right. It's Japan. You're gonna see sushi in every city. We we saw sushi in Hiroshima, Hakone, Tokyo, Osaka. Um, Miyajima, all those places have sushi. I mean, that's just what Japan is like very famous for. Uh, but you, you know, the food variations actually differ in city to city. Like they have, um, okonomiyaki, which is like a, a pancake shaped thing, but it's like a savory one. And it's completely different in Osaka, um, and Tokyo and, uh, Hiroshima. Hiroshima is known for putting noodles in it. And I think Osaka is known for just making it like way more savory with like, like a batter, like with onions and stuff like that, or something like that in it. Um, but it's completely different. And the one in Hiroshima that we had is like, a lot of people say it's the best out of all of them. And it's really, really good. I mean, it's amazing. There's a, I mean, honestly, Japan is just something that we, I feel like we could talk about forever, which is why, unfortunately, we're going to have to continue the conversation next time. Right. Um, but there's a lot of stuff to talk about. So next episode, we're going to continue talking about Japan, and we're also going to continue talking about Europe. We don't know which part we're going to talk about specifically, but thank you guys for listening. And until next time, this was the Travel Bros. Travel Bros.